The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise. This our prayer of thanks and praise. Beloved, the liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, have no anxiety about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, lift your needs to God. Sometimes through distraction, we lose sense of the joy at the depth of being and life, the joy of which the apostle to the Gentiles will sing in just a few moments from the letter to the Philippians, the home of more favorite verses than almost any other book in the scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Touch, sense, feel that depth of joy that comes in experience before the native hue of resolution is sickled over by the pale cast of thought. In our prayer in these moments, one by one, together as a community, in confession, let us rekindle that sense of joy and awe and wonder as the choir sings our Kyrie. Let us pray. O thou in whose light we are daily bathed in beauty and in grace and in love, grant us thy peace, grant us thy peace, grant us thy peace. 
Amen. Hear the good news, beloved. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in the way, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
please join me in reading Psalm 106 with the antiphon. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty doings of the Lord, or declare all his praise? Happy are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you deliver them that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your heritage. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have committed iniquity, have done wickedly. They made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a cast image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Now please stand for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. The dilemma of today's parable is the dilemma of our very lives. Much of life 
is a long wait. Our gospel has made use of a story known elsewhere in antiquity. The power of the wedding, as you know from other parts of Holy Scripture, stood at the very pinnacle of experience and religious teaching in antiquity. Here the gospel writer has appended a very noble encouragement to watchfulness to a parable rearranged near the end of the first century of the common era. Our more trustworthy manuscripts include the bride too, so ten maidens went to meet the bridegroom and the bride. In fact, nowhere in antiquity do maidens await the bridegroom. They await the bride. That is why we call them bridesmaids. They attend the bride, and especially in the great exaltation of the translation, from home to home, parents to spouse, like the sun rising from the eastern heavens daily, the bridegroom with the bride runs the course with joy. So why has the writer eliminated the bride? He does so to make the parable fit the church's biggest spiritual disappointment keenly and painfully suffered by 90 AD. Christ was risen from the dead, which must mean the end of time, which must mean his return in power and glory, which must mean soon and very soon parousia, the coming of the Lord. But 30 A.D. became 50 A.D., and 50 A.D. became 70 A.D., and 70 A.D. became 90 A.D. And the bridegroom, here shorn of bride, clearly a figure of Christ, delays. The original parable is not about awaiting the return of Christ, more about this later in the great and glorious Gospel of John, but about living through the long wait. The maidens, the bridesmaids, some prepared and some not, all have to wait. And it is a long wait. And that is just the point. You may think of a woman waiting to give birth. You may think of a population long enslaved, waiting still for justice to roll down like waters. You may think of a war-torn region of the globe, the setting for endless decades of mayhem and war and violence, yearning for the dawn of peace. You may think of a doctoral student waiting for that final report the dissertation is accepted. You may think of a denomination waiting the wisdom to affirm the full humanity of gay people, now recognized soon across nearly three dozen states. You may think of those afflicted and infected with a deadly virus awaiting a vaccine for healing. You may think of a man hoping for a job and daily awaiting a letter. You may think of a physician attending a patient suffering from a mental illness, hoping against hope for a delayed cure. You may think of a lonely woman, a tithing Christian, waiting for a pastor to leave off further libraries and degrees and come to her church and come to her house and make a visit and say a prayer. 
Whether or not the full range of doctrine and teaching in Christianity convinces you, surely, at least at this point, you would admit its congruence with your experience. Faith and life, both, are a long wait. So how shall we trim our lamps for the wait? The parable moves quickly to the importance of preparation, a little patience, a little persistence, a little oil for the lamps trimmed during the long wait. Patience. The patience of Job, patience is a virtue, love, joy, peace, patience, a gift of the Spirit, patient and suffering, and persistence. Persistent prayer, persistence as insistence. To exist is to persist, labor omnia, wink it, the persistence of Paul. The life of faith, the spiritual life, carries us down into the caverns of experience. Our steadiness in faith, our reliance on faith, are most clear to us when everything else is murky, misty, dark, and dank. Faith is only faith when it's all you have left to go on. Two registers of the spiritual life, the life of faith, down in the declivities and caves of time are these, patience and persistence. Over the course of a week or a year or a lifetime, one needs both. You need both. You need both the passive receptivity of patience and the active resistance of persistence. One is the brake pedal, that is patience. You're careening downhill, your plan, your work, your friendship, your marriage, your profession are going south. You need a way to put a foot on the brakes, to slow the decline, to ease the demise. Patience can help you to do that, one day at a time. Sleep on it. Things will look better in the morning. Patience is your way of managing the rolling ride downhill. The other is the accelerator, the gas pedal. That is persistence. You're looking uphill. The climb is before you and the incline daunting. Your plan, your work, your friendship, your marriage, your profession are all in the balance. Nothing is for sure. Nothing is taken for granted. You can rest, but later, now you need to put the pedal to the metal and climb the hill. Slow and steady wins the day. Keep on keeping on, one step at a time. Persistence is your way of empowering the grinding ride up the hill. Both patience and persistence are underrated virtues. They shy away from the limelight. They don't do well in the bright light. But for your faith to quicken and to continue, you will need both of them, both patience and persistence. For sustenance, energy, and endurance in the long wait, you and I need both. Some of us are more naturally patient. Make sure you practice persistence, too. Some of us are more naturally persistent. Make sure you practice patience, too. Care of children requires and elicits endless patience. 
Patience to rock, patience to feed, patience to listen, patience to play, patience, patience to teach, patience to watch, patience to repeat, patience simply to live alongside a slowly developing person, personality, personhood. Someone lets you grow up after all. The patience you received will need to become a part of the patience you conceive and retrieve and give. A part of our fast forward work culture can use the brake pedal, the quiet pause, the important lack of doing that is the patience of the cure of souls in general and the care of children in particular. Honor, celebrate the hours and stamina given to breakfast cleanup, snack and nap time, bathing, to the settling of squabbles, the cleanup of messes, the endurance of crying, the midnight coddling, all and so much more that require the patience of parenting. Learning any language at any time is a demanding enterprise. And the language of faith, the grammar of trust, the syntax of belief, the spelling of practice is no different. Children blessed in patient care to learn to speak and then also to learn to speak in a language of faith are given the gift of life to know from childhood the power of love, to know from childhood the example of forgiveness, to know from childhood the posture of hope, to know from childhood the virtue of patience. If you learn the language early, taking it as your mother's, milk, mother's tongue and imbibing it with your mother's milk, you will have it all your life, a hymn to hum, a verse to remember, a prayer to use, a psalm to recite, a story to tell. You certainly learn to speak another language in midlife. People do so all the time. And that requires patience, too, both for listener and for speaker. And it may involve a difference in pronunciation and in accent, in emphasis. In the summer, we cared for four of our five grandchildren over several days. The older three one afternoon went with their grandmother, the fourth having been left for a nap with her grandfather. She awoke after a couple of hours, not overly pleased to find out who had been assigned as her temporary guardian or captor. But she allowed herself to be held, to be given the chance slowly to wake up, to see the blue in sky and lake, and to let the breeze of midsummer caress face and hands, hair and skin. She could sit and wait. She only needed a patience, a patient presence. Sometimes, though, in the life of faith and in the spiritual life, you need more gas and less break, more persistence than patience. We will offer one immediate example, literally present to Marsh Chapel today and figurative, figuratively present in so many ways and so many settings. Dr. Douglas Reeve in his blog, Change Leaders, has something to offer you. First, for those of you finishing a PhD and second, more broadly, for all. His particular advice applies 
well and broadly. Patience is a virtue, but so too is persistence. He offers the wisdom of persistence in five forms. One, call your advisor. The top reason that doctoral students are stuck is neither their overwhelming literature review nor their complex research methodologies. It's failure to communicate with their advisor. Pick up the phone, drop by the office, or as a last resort, email. Two, read exemplary dissertations. All this is, although this, this is your first dissertation, your committee has been through this exercise many times. Ask them to give you the title and the author of the best dissertation they've ever seen. It may be their own, and it's never a bad idea to read the publications of your advisor and committee members. Three, create a cohort. Boston College dramatically increased the completion rate of their doctoral program when they created small groups of four or five students who meet regularly with one another, sharing research, emotional support, and intellectual engagement. If your university does not provide such a cohort, then create your own. Fourth, forget perfection. There is a technical academic term for the perfect dissertation. It's called unfinished. You are doing important work, and while you should not tolerate sloppy research, you must forgive yourself for imperfections. And fifth, the 45-minute rule. Don't wait for the sabbatical vacation weekend or free day. The vast majority of dissertation writers are working professionals who have many demands on their time, so the key to finishing is not waiting for the illusory gift of free time, but rather the workaday chore of finishing a paragraph, an article, or a quick synthesis, something you can do in 45 minutes. Persistence. How remarkably, with just a little here again, there again revision, these points about persistence may fit your own and your very long weight. The dilemma of today's parable is the dilemma of our very lives. Much of life, as in the story, is simply a long wait. It is a long wait, and that is just the point. The primitive Christian church endured such a lengthy wait through nearly seven decades prior to the Gospel of John and the new commandment to love, the new gift of spirit, the new hope of truth-making free, the new gospel dimension, really, of an hour coming that somehow now is. Here is an invitation. You may benefit, should you seek patience and persistence, from consort with a community born in patience, that is suffering, and persistence, that is endurance. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Why? because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. You may, of course, sally forth on your own. Many do. It may be most do. But how are you going to know the power of persistence without immersion in a persistent community of faith? How are you going to gain the capacity of patience 
without involvement in a patient community of faith? How are you going to go up the hills and down the hills of life without some genuine camaraderie along the trail, some consanguinity on the hike, some compassion amid the passion of the heat of the day? Life is hard enough and the wait is long enough without some church family to love and some church home to enjoy and some church community of faith with whom to keep faith especially for children as they grow, especially for adults trying to ferret out some meaning in life, especially for the more elderly, wise but lonely, having much to offer but not much mobility with which to offer it. It so gladdens me when one or another elsewhere or here finds a seat in the community of patient persistence, of persistent patience. Need we even pause to add that such a fellowship of faith working through love could never have given birth to itself, could never have sustained itself by merely inventive imaginative activity, and could never have conjured for itself the sustainable energies uphill and downhill, patience and persistence. Such fellowship, sustenance, and energy come from the divine presence, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the love of God, the transcript in time of God and eternity, whose own lasting love through the long wait marked on the cross is finally all we have and all we need. As we come now to a time of prayer in our service, I invite you to assume a posture that allows you to best support the prayers of the community. I invite you to remain seated, to come to the altar rail, to kneel, to stand. Assume a posture that allows you to support your own prayer and the prayers of the community as the choir leads us in Lead Me, Lord.
In peace, we pray to you, O God. We pray today with special intention for all people who struggle for survival, for visibility, for a voice, for equality, and for the quality of life in a patriarchal world and church. For all people in countries and cultures impacted by global capitalism, for the world's poor, destitute, and homeless, most of whom are women and children. Let not the needy be forgotten or the hope of the poor be taken away. We pray to you, O God. For women and men here in this city and throughout our land who are beaten and abused physically, emotionally, or spiritually. For those who are exploited and enslaved as sexual objects. For people in other cultures torn by war who because of their powerlessness have been subjected to rape and other forms of torture. We pray to you, O God. For all people of minority cultures and ethnic groups in the United States who continue to be trivialized and endangered by the pervasiveness of racism. For all people, especially women in this country who are economically exploited, for the health and welfare of every person in every circumstance, we pray to you, O oh God. For lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, divorced, and single people who suffer special forms of oppression and hatred within and beyond the church, with men and women in the United Methodist Church and other communities who care enough to struggle for the transformation of the church and the world, Sweet, sweet spirit, empower your sisters and brothers. With those women and men who will not make peace with imperialism, racism, or class elitism, inspire us, Brother Jesus. With those who do not fear diverse spiritualities or the wondrous variety of creatures on the earth, increase our wisdom, our Father with those who refuse to give in to despair or cynicism and who continue to dream, envision, and struggle for a more fully just world and a more courageous church. Encourage us, our mother. We pray also for all those who have died, especially remembering the courage and faithful witness of so many and also for those we remember in silence now. Sophia God, let your loving kindness be upon them. Merciful God, accept the fervent prayers of your people and the multitude of your mercies look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For your gracious, O lover of your creation, and to you we give glory, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now we're bold to pray in the words of our Savior, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, and welcome again to this space and time. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope that you will feel at home here, that here at Marsh Chapel, you will find a heart in the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. Three announcements this morning. First, as always, we want to encourage the growing fellowship of the Marsh Chapel community. One way to do this is to fill out your name in the red books that are found in the center of the pews and pass them along to your neighbor. Thus, you can surreptitiously learn or relearn the name of your neighbor in the pew and greet them at the, at the, uh, after the service at coffee hour. Second, for the children and the grown-ups they have brought with them, we invite you to join Miss Jamie Dingus for children's education during the last hymn. And third, if you turn to the insert in your bulletin, you will find an invitation to the Parents Weekend Concert this coming Friday, October 17th at 8 p.m. right here in the nave. Not only is it the Dean's Choice event for the week, and not only is it open to all, even those not identifying as BU parents, but it is a free concert. Beloved, we depend upon your prayerful and material support for the life and work of Marsh Chapel. From the soaring music of Rachmaninoff and Bach voice, to the undergraduates in an internship learning about religious leadership, vocation, to the sharing of the gospel of grace and freedom throughout New England and around the globe, volume. Our ministry grows and thrives only with your support. As the ushers come forward to wait upon us, or as you click on the giving tab at bu.edu chapel, I invite you to pray with us and to be as generous as possible.
Loving God, you grant us the abundance of your grace. Bless these tithes and offerings before you today and fulfill your works through the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and always. <laughs> 